Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Amen. Well, I want to remind you as we... uh, Open the word this morning that uh, we talked last week about this new normal and the reality that uh, it's never been easier for you and I to share our faith, to invite people to uh, simply, you know, kind of share what's happening to us. And I don't know about you, but as I've been a part of this this morning and worshiped and uh, listened to the worship team, and uh, there's just moments in that that I think are powerful and profound. And, uh, and as that happens to you, I, I just want to invite you to share it. Uh, if, if we talk this morning, something stands out to you, something said that sort of stirs your heart, you needed to hear it, God is gracefully uh, speaking some words into your life, share that stuff. Uh, it matters. It matters. And so we're thinking about this reality. We're talking about a like-minded new normal, and, and I really want to think about how it is possible to be prepared First uh, Peter 3.15 says, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that lies in you. And, uh, and I wonder if somebody walked up to you and said, uh, in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of uh, uncertainty, uh, you know, why do you have hope? Uh, we'd probably have to have a conversation about whether or not we have hope. Uh, and then we could talk about why we might have hope or why we should have hope or why we ought to have hope. Um, but how do you get prepared for the cataclysmic moments in your life. And I don't just mean that in a negative way. How are you prepared for the moment that is a turning point in a relationship? Will you even know? How can we be prepared to have the appropriate attitude at the appropriate time? How is it possible for us to anticipate, to be ready for whatever the day may bring, that life may bring? Obviously, None of us anticipated, even a few months ago, that we'd be going through this. We were not prepared for all of this. And just because we may not be prepared for the external circumstances of our life, how do we internally prepare for whatever might be going on? I think that's a biblical invitation for us. I was thinking about this, and I was remembering when I was uh, young and I played Little League Baseball, and there's this process that goes on when you play sports, and especially that's true in baseball, and that is uh, the coach will stand at the plate, and he'll have the bat and ball, and he'll uh, shout out a situation, and then he'll hit the ball. Now, you don't know where the ball's going, but your job is you're supposed to know, given the situation, where the ball's supposed to go, and, then, and you sort of test it out on that, and that starts early. I remember my very first year that that the coaches were already doing that stuff. We didn't even know the rules. We didn't even understand what was going on. And yet, you know, the coach would stand at the plate and he would say, hey, it's one out. There's a runner at first. Uh, Here we go. Hit the ball. You're supposed to know what to do. And after a few years of that, that gets inside your head. That kind of gets kind of, you know, you have a voice in your head. And so when you're playing the game, you're constantly saying to yourself, if the ball comes to me on the ground, here's the situation. There's two outs. There's a runner at first and second. The ball comes to me on the ground. This is what I'm going to do. You know, two outs, runner on third, ball in the air. What am I going to do? You're always thinking that way. It becomes sort of this second nature to you that you're already thinking ahead of what might happen. You're thinking about the possibilities. And here's the thing that's so redeeming about that. 
you know, baseball is a finite game. There's only so many things that could happen. There's only so many things that you're supposed to do. In fact, usually in a given situation, there's only one right thing for you to do. And after so many years of having that drilled into you, you you can sit in that space before anything happens and know in this situation, this is exactly what I'm supposed to do. But life's not really like that, is it? It has endless possibilities. And we're not ever really certain exactly what the right thing is. And so how do you prepare yourself? How do you get yourself into space where whatever the external circumstances are, that you feel like you kind of know what to do, that you're prepared? I love a couple of stories, and I've shared them with you before, but how do you get ready for these moments in your life? Not too long ago, you remember this story, Airways Flight 1549, leaving LaGuardia Airport uh, in New York City. A double bird strike, both engines fail, and uh, maybe you remember the story, Chelsea Sullenberger, 29-year veteran, uh, a a combat pilot, a retired combat pilot. He, He just coolly, calmly steered that airliner over the George Washington Bridge and set it down perfectly in the Hudson River and saved everyone on board. He was ready for his moment. And I just, obviously, some of that's just experience, some of that's just years and years and hours and hours of flying airplanes and being in circumstances and preparing yourself. But some has to go on inside of us to prepare ourselves. I read a story about a person in the subway in New York on one day and someone fell into the tracks. And they immediately jumped down and picked the person up and got to safety. And I'm just wondering, what prepares a person? What is it going on inside of a human being that when the crisis comes, they're ready to answer? They're ready to respond in some appropriate way. When Jesus entered the upper room, uh, there are some very fundamental things about the way Jesus lived and thought and acted and behaved that prepared him for this moment. And if you think from a, a theological perspective, then, then you know that there's more going on than just the narrative. So you know that as Jesus enters the upper room on the night of uh, the Last Supper, that, that the weight of the world is literally on his shoulders. That, that if you just read the narrative, you know that this is the, this is the culmination of all the salvation history that leads up to this God's plan for redeeming the universe, for redeeming human beings. This is it. This is the moment. This is where it's all coming together. It's not just, you know, one more day in the life, but it's not just Jesus of Nazareth, the rabbi. This is about God's cosmic plan to save human beings. And and as he sort of enters into that space in these final days, moments, hours of God's plan unfolding, we recognize that that it's not just Jesus the man, it's Jesus the Son of God, it's the redemptive, the Lamb of God, it's all of those things. And it's not just a bunch of bungling disciples who are following a rabbi. This, This is God's great plan for the next wave of the revelation and the movement of God in the world. These these 12 who will be 11 and then 12 again, are God's great plan for moving forward. And they gather in this room, in this moment, and I'm trying to follow the logic of it and the emotion of it. So Jesus, with the weight of the world on his shoulders, literally, he enters into the room, 
and the disciples are bickering among themselves. We're told in Luke 22 that they're arguing about who is greatest in the kingdom of God. So as Jesus carries away to the world and the ultimate plan of salvation, and in these next few hours, things are going to unfold. We're going to see emotion and anguish in Jesus. We know that right now, of all the times in his whole journey, he needs his friends, he needs support, he needs people to hold him up. And he enters into the room, and we're told in Luke 22 that they're arguing about who will be greatest. And so, although we know that they have washed each other's feet dozens and dozens and dozens of times, on this night their egos and pride will not allow them to. So Jesus gets up from the table, and he takes off his outer clothes, and he wraps a towel around him, and he begins to wash feet. And he washes real, actual dirty feet and he washes each one and he goes down the line and he washes the feet of those that will betray him he washes the feet of those that will deny him he washes the feet of those who are indifferent he washes the feet of all of those followers of his and and here's my question to you how is it possible with the weight of the world on your shoulders in deep need of support and love, to find it within yourself to sacrifice and give in that moment. Not in some theoretical way, not in some philosophical way, but in the most vivid and literal way possible. What was it inside of Jesus? And and you can say, oh, well, he was divine. Well, he was fully human too. In fact, as I move into the reading in Philippians in a moment, I want you to remember that because what Paul calls us to and invites us to and says explicitly is, you and I should be like-minded. That we're supposed to live in this new normal in a like-minded way with each other, certainly, but with Christ, who in this moment... And when he's finished, he looks at those disciples and says, You call me Lord and teacher, and rightly so, for that is who I am. If I, your Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. By this will all people know that you are my disciples by your love one for another. So what makes us and allows us to be prepared for the moments of our lives that... Jesus responds with attentiveness and gentleness and kindness. Just listen. I don't know how long, you know, are, you know, what's happening in your home and your family. I don't know how long, you know, some of us were confined a little earlier, some a little later. Uh, people watching from around the country, some of you are more free than those of us out here in California. But on a day-to-day basis, on a moment-by-moment basis, do you find it within yourself to respond with attentiveness Gentleness, kindness, service, support, encouragement, love, forgiveness, patience, optimism? Do you find yourself believing the best about others? That, that, that building, you're building others up instead of knocking them down? That somehow in this moment, we're told, we're told in John 13 that all things had come under his power. This could have been a moment of supreme pride and power, but instead, it was a moment of Humility and sacrifice and service. 
So whatever was in Jesus' mind and heart that prepared him for that moment, Paul seems to think that it ought to be in you and me too. Listen to what he writes, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and be, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father." I don't know, it's a, tough, it's a tough piece of reading in there where you, you, you know, the, the reality that this same Jesus who found a way to wash feet as the weight of responsibility and the weight of the world and the weight of God's plan weighed down on his shoulders, he found this place to be loving and kind, and then Paul has the nerve to say, and now you go be like-minded. You go live that way. So, so here's what we're going to do. I, I want to give you four observations of what I think was happening to Jesus that are pointed out specifically by Paul, and then I'm going to give you four things that are some takeaways that I think matter to you and I as people in the new normal. Number one, we're told that God gave up his, that Jesus gave up his relationship with God for personal advantage. So in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus used his relationship with the Father to fill him with strength, to give him communion and companionship, to give him guidance and wisdom, but he didn't spend tons of time asking the Father to change stuff and to change the way things were going. Now, we're encouraged to ask God, but I just want you to observe this truth. How can you be prepared in season and out of season? How can we be prepared? What is this mantra that we say inside of our hearts and minds? At least some of it is the reality that we relate to God in a relationship in which we are allowing Him to pour into us in which we are understanding that we're not using the relationship with God for personal advantage. I I'm guessing, if you're like me, that it is easy to allow our relationship with God to be nothing more than a series of prayers that have to do with God somehow blessing me with personal advantage, making my life better, greasing the wheels, figuring out somehow with me to make my life more fun, more interesting, more engaging, more fulfilling more meaningful, more prosperous, whatever it is that we're praying about. I think Paul is simply saying the mindset of Jesus was that he was not getting stuff from the Father. He was not asking God to do a bunch of stuff to make his life better. 
Instead, he was getting relationship from the Father. He was getting love. He was getting companionship. He was getting inner strength. It seems incredibly important that we make the distinction. Number two, he became a servant of God instead of a business partner with God. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus was repaired for the moments of his life because he had taken on the mentality of a life of service, not consultation. He had decided that emotionally his attitude would reflect the spirit of a servant towards his father, God. That instead of considering equality with God, a partnership with God, a business venture with God, a a place in which God is, you know, working together with us to build something that we believe is important, he decided that somewhere, somehow, it mattered to simply adopt the attitude and the spirit of a servant. I'll tell you something. That would change a lot of things, wouldn't it? If I started, if I, if I woke, woke up in the morning and I just said, God, listen, there's a lot of plans that I have and there's a lot of things that I think and there's a lot of things I want and there's a lot of things I think you're leading. But this is your world and I just live in it. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Sometimes we, when we're disappointed with God, when we're angry with God, it has to do with these first two points. It has to do with somehow a mentality in which we want God to work for our personal advantage. And we've forgotten that we are servants instead of business partners with God. Number three, he embraced that servanthood meant sacrifice. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus prepared himself that life was going to require sacrifice. And I don't know about you, but I would rather it not. I would rather it not. I would rather everything work really well. What I'd rather it be is I'd rather that I pray to God and ask him to fix things, and then he fixes things. And we're in a great partnership together in which I feel blessed. And listen, by the way, I don't know how you can read this passage and the story of this book and come away with another idea that God wants to make all of us prosperous and we're never going to go through anything and and the answer is always yes and, and, and everybody gets their miracle. Listen, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not think equality with God something to grasp, but emptied himself and became obedient. And Jesus in these moments, he's embracing that servanthood means sacrifice. Some of us, we're just avoiding that. We're just avoiding the reality. Listen, meaningful relationships take sacrifice. Meaningful connection means that when the pressure's on, That something inside of us helps us know, helps us be prepared. This is a cataclysmic moment in the course of this relationship. This is a cataclysmic moment in the course of this friendship. This is a cataclysmic moment in the life of my children. This is a cataclysmic moment in the relationships we share on this journey. What gets us ready? How, what is the thing we say in our head so that when the situations unfold, we know what to do. We know how to respond. Jesus understood. He embraced that servanthood was going to mean sacrifice. Number four, 
The result of these choices was exaltation. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above all. The mentality of Jesus, this idea, have this ironic twist. None of us would guess that, that, that to not use our relationship with God for pro- personal advantage, to recognize in the midst of all of it, that we are a servant and not a business partner, to understand the sacrifice. None of us would imagine that what results at the other end of that is a life of exaltation. Now, I don't mean that we get to be elevated, but what the Scripture says is this is the path to abundant life. This is the path to fulfillment. Whoever saves their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. This is the way to find the meaning in the journey. And and there's something in us that says, No, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. I don't understand why I'm not fulfilled. And so Jesus understood that somehow this was the path. This was the way forward. To not use our relationship with God for personal advantage. To be a servant and not a business partner. To choose servanthood and sacrifice. And in that process, something powerful happens. So after all of those observations, then Paul has the nerve to say, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, if you have any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and passion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. That you and I are invited, called, told that this is our journey. This is who we are. This is the like-minded new normal. Paul in Romans says, do not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is the parting ways with the pattern. This is the not being conformed. This is the not following the logic or getting caught up in the mindset. This is a like-minded new normal. Sometimes I think we have a sermon like this and we're talking about our thinking and we start to think, well, you know, what I'm going to take away from this is I'm going to start to think better about God. I'm going to start to think better about life. Listen, this isn't about intellectual assent to an idea. This is about the reality that Jesus in the moment of crisis, cataclysmic, cosmic, with the fate of the world hanging in the balance, washed very real, very dirty, betraying, denying feet it wasn't just an intellectual pursuit it was a physical reality it was a lifestyle and so I believe that we are called into these four realities to give up using our relationship with God for personal advantage to become a servant of God instead of a business partner to embrace that servanthood will mean sacrifice and to realize the result of these churches of these choices is exaltation is fulfillment abundant life. So as I thought about this and what it means for our church, I came up with four things that I think are takeaways for us in the new normal. Number one, I think God is inviting us in context of all of this to be humble people, to be humble people. I think if we adopted such a mindset, there'd be a new and fresh kind of humility. There'd be the kind of humility where we stopped believing that our stuff was the most important stuff and being preoccupied with our own stuff all the time, 24-7, 
where we would begin to realize and understand that the community of God is something that is much, much larger than an hour on a weekend, that it is a lifestyle that we live out 24-7, that we come together to celebrate, we come together to be renewed and refueled, but we practice this humility. I think these are days for humility. As the world debates about when the church should open and should it stay closed and should it stay, start to open and are we being denied something of our, whatever all that is, listen, don't you think we ought to be the most humble institution on the planet? That we in humility shouldn't think that we have all the wisdom and we've cornered it all, but instead we are recognizing at the very most basic levels of life that we talk differently that we debate differently, that we respond differently, that in fact we talk less and we listen much, much more, that we are gentle, that our priorities shift, we look to the needs of others before we look to our own needs. This is vividly being lived out day after day in this new normal, in this process that we're in right now. And something inside us has to shift We've learned something. Relationships matter. Being together matters. People matter. We're not okay in isolation. The sad fact is most of us are being more relational now than we were when we were free to do what we wanted. And it ought to shape us. There ought to be a new kind of humility. We ought to emerge from this season with a whole new normal. And that new normal should come with a new kind of like-mindedness. Number two, I think if we adopted this sort of mentality, there would be a new kind of compassion. I think the mindset would mean that you and I are noticing and caring about the people around us. I don't know if you've known this, noticed this, but we are highly aware of people in ways that we were not a few weeks ago. You know it and I know it. We see them in their cars. We see the ones who wear their masks in their cars. We see the ones who don't wear their masks in their cars. We see the people that we uh, are in the grocery store with. We, we observe how they're wearing their mask. We're, we're very much tuned in to the people around us right now. If someone's coughing, that gets our attention. I don't understand the people who are wearing the mask without their noses in it. You know, that doesn't make sense to me. But I'm highly aware of it. And I think you are too. Maybe the only reason we're so aware of the people around us is because we're trying to social distance and because we're worried about becoming infected, but it does raise some significant issues, doesn't it? How often do we walk through our lives and not notice the people around us? We just don't notice them. We couldn't tell you who they were. We can't tell you anything about our neighbors. We don't know their names. We've never had a conversation. We don't know the people that sits around us in a worship service. We don't know people from the Pasadena campus. People over there don't know people from the Montrose campus. We haven't taken the time. We haven't taken the energy. We didn't get up and drive, you know, eight miles over to the Pasadena campus on a Sunday morning to meet some people we've never met who are part of the same church, the same body. And we're not just supposed to notice each other, we're supposed to actually desire to help each other, to show genuine compassion. If we're going to be like-minded with Christ, it seems like there would be a new kind of humility, that we would come out of this crisis with a new kind of humility, where we believe that the needs of others are incredibly important, and a new kind of compassion where we notice, but we also get involved. We do something about it. We make a difference. 
It matters. The third observation I have is this. We ought to be networked. I think if we adopted such a mindset, there'd be a new and a fresh kind of networking going on. It occurred to me that maybe we've gotten this whole idea of networking completely backwards. In the kingdom of God, we've always talked about you need to be in a small group. Oh, you need to be in a small group. Oh, you need accountability. You need to be in a small group. You need to be in a small group. Get in a small group. I think maybe we've been coming at it backwards. We've always wanted to fellowship. We've always wanted to have a potluck. But maybe we've missed the truth of it. I think that truth is being played out in the middle of this quarantine. I'm going to tell you this. I believe this to be true. The people who have done the best in this process are those who were intimately networked before this ever began. They had a network of relationships. They had a network of friendships. They had a network of connections that they had nurtured and worked on. Because we're not okay in isolation. We're finding that out. We don't need to be in a small group because it's a church program. We need to be in a small group because we must be networked in order to experience and live out relationship. Listen, Jesus washed the disciples' feet because he had feet to wash. So some of us would say, well, I'd be willing to wash feet. But we are not in a relationship and networked in such a way that there would ever be an occasion, there would ever be a human being that would require us into that kind of intimacy and that kind of relationship because we didn't network that way. We never got connected like that. We never allowed the mindset of Jesus Christ to get in us in such a way that we said, I'm not okay going through life in this little circle. This little circle is not sufficient. I cannot live out the kingdom principles doing my own thing with my own people all the time. I got to get out. I got to network. I got to connect. The only reason Jesus can wash those betraying, denying, dirty, prideful feet is because he's built a relationship with those people and he's done life with them. And it wouldn't make a bit of sense if he hadn't lived that out. It wasn't in one moment, it was an investment in something, in a like-mindedness in which this stuff starts to make sense. I promise you, you go grab your neighbor and wash their feet, weird things will happen. Probably it will involve first responders. There'll be some sort of litigation involved. We need to be networked in this new normal for all kinds of reasons. Finally, the last thing is this. We ought to be engaged. If we adopted such a mindset, there would be a new and fresh kind of engagement. A lot of us are willing to engage, but we're not networked. And some of us are networked, but we're not willing to engage. Engagement costs something. Listen, it means something in very literal ways. Making a phone call is engagement. Writing a note is engagement. Listening to someone is engagement. Setting up time to get together is engagement. Making dinner and sitting around at a table is engagement. Talking to the people around you is engagement. I think if we lived out this like-mindedness, something would change. Can you imagine... Can you imagine what would happen if a whole church full of people? I, I, I mean, right now, I don't know. There's almost 300, 300 eyes on. I don't know what that means. Six, seven, eight hundred people. Some of you probably are on your way to the kitchen to get another muffin. But can you imagine if six or seven or eight hundred or nine hundred or a thousand people or fifteen hundred people or whatever it is said, I'm going to live a like-minded new normal. 
I'm going I'm to engage in ways. I, I'm going to be humble in a way I've never been humble before. I'm going to consider the needs of others before my own. And I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to notice. I'm going to watch. I'm going to listen. I'm going to be attentive. I'm not going to just be watching to see if they have their mask on. I'm going to see how they look. I'm going to see what their face looks like. I'm going to see what they're going through. I, I'm going to empathize. I'm going to put myself in their shoes. And I'm going to desire not just to understand it, but I'm going to desire to make a difference. To alleviate suffering anywhere I find it. And I'm going to engage. I'm going to be networked. I'm, I'm going to figure out a way to build meaningful relationship with the people around me. I'm not going to just float through this thing. I'm not just going to walk through it. I'm not just going to show up on a weekend and then go out. I'm going to actually build some meaningful relationships with people. I can and I should. And I'm going to engage people. I'm going to be engaged. I'm going to physically, actively do something that matters. Are you prepared? Are you prepared for what life brings? Are you prepared for what's going to go on in the life of your kids and your grandkids and and your network? Are you prepared? I wish life was finite. I wish it was as simple as shouting out a few situations, getting locked in our brains, and we knew exactly what to do when things come up. We don't, and we can't. But we can let this mindset be in us that was also in Christ Jesus. Isaiah says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. I'll make a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland, and I think it's his promise to you and to me. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you invite us into this space, that you are willing to speak into our hearts and lives, that your word is alive in us, that we think about Paul in prison writing such powerful words, living out the example of what it means to be networked with people, to be making a difference and engaging in the lives of people, to practicing a humility and a compassion. God, I just pray that in this moment as we come to the close of this worship service that you would begin to speak to us. That you'd remind us again that you've invited us into a place where this relationship that we share with you is not about personal advantage. We want so much more from our relationship with you than that you fix a few things and you do a few things. You've invited us You've encouraged us to make our requests known to you. But don't let that be the sum total of our relationship with you. Be the source of light. Be the source of strength. Be the source of hope. Teach us to take on the mentality of servants and not business partners. We're not always in a negotiation. We're not always trying to figure something out. We are here to follow you. Remind us that servanthood takes sacrifice. It will cost us something. It will mean something in the deep places of our lives. And that the result of this lifestyle is fulfillment, abundant life, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those wonderful things. Lead us. Guide us. Teach us humility. Teach us compassion. Teach us to network. Teach us to engage. Hear our prayers. Lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.